The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Wow, it's great to be together. It's great to have a big group up here. Thank you so much. You know, I was, I was thinking, if I happen to say he is risen in, anywhere in my sermon, feel free. Feel free to respond. I might, you might startle me, but um, it's great to be together. He is risen. You know, on Easter Sunday, we're confronted with an amazing claim, a claim that many find hard to believe. A claim that some will maybe only spiritualize. A claim that others accept, but then in light of its reality, they wonder if it shouldn't have a greater impact on their daily lives. In our text, which is uh, Luke 24, 1 through 12, if you want to turn there, in our text we're going to notice some women coming to the tomb... And they make, they're mistaken. They were mistaken about the resurrection. So I want to consider how people today, how maybe we, might be mistaken as well. Uh, If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Luke 24, 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Is he not here? Or he is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is God's word. You may be seated. And let's pray together. Father, uh, help us to not miss the significance of this reality. That Jesus is not among the dead, but the living. Give us eyes to see him. To taste and see that the Lord is good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, unlike the other Gospels, Luke gives us this detail, this encounter between the women coming to the tomb and a couple of shiny angels. 
Uh, they're described here as men in dazzling apparel, not, not like some fancy jackets or anything. Um, some translators say they were shining like lightning, dazzling. And by the reaction of these women, as they, as they bow their heads or fall to the ground, you know, it's a typical reaction when people are confronted with, with dazzling angels in their presence. It scares them, and they fall to the ground. So we assume that these, this uh, is speaking of angels. And I love the, the question that these angels ask, don't you? Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? It's a rhetorical question. They weren't looking for an answer as much as maybe giving counsel to grieving, dedicated followers of Christ. The question reveals that, well, they were in a fog. They were going through the motions. Uh, What do you do when someone dies and you go to the they're going through the motions. They're disoriented in a sense. And it shines, this question shines the light of truth. It breaks through their fog of grief and confusion. We know the story. We know the story of the cross. We know the story of the resurrection. We speak of Jesus and his gospel continually. And yet, we often find ourselves going through the motions in gloomy darkness Depressed, anxiety, fearful, frustrated. And we need to say to ourselves, why do you seek the living among the dead? Or, why are you hopeless? Why are you acting as if Jesus were dead? Say that to yourself. So the question from the angels, it's kind of a rebuke. But it's also, it's glorious, it's joyful, it's a loving statement that points them in the right direction. I want to consider three mistakes that these women make. Uh, Three mistakes that we're capable of making as well, or many people are. In a sense, they were denying. They were denying the miracle, they were denying the meaning And the reality of the resurrection. First, by their actions and and expectations, wrong expectations, they denied the miracle of the resurrection. They came expecting his body to be in the tomb. That he was still among the dead. It's as if Jesus, well, that he was no different than any other leader or founder of any other religion, dead. And what do you do with dead leaders? How do you seek them? Well, you seek them through their writings. You dedicate yourself to following their teachings. You, you maybe take a pilgrimage and, and go to some holy site, some kind of monument or grave and, and honor them. And this is all there is for people who think of themselves as Christian and yet deny the miracle of the the resurrection. This is all there is. Thinking of it only as a metaphor of spiritual victory where we keep his truth marching on even though he is not physically marching on. 
Hopefully none of you are in this group because the Apostle Paul tells us that if this is how you think about the resurrection, then you have no hope. Because if Jesus has not been raised, then your faith is futile. And you're still in your sins. And you're still guilty. And the dead are just dead. And there's no hope. And we're to be pitied. You'd just be seeking after another dead founder of another religion. And that's it. And these angels basically say... If you treat Jesus this way, if you think he's just another brilliant, wonderful teacher, then you'll never find him. You might read his writings and think of him as as a great example, but you won't truly find him. He's not there. He's not among the dead, the other dead religions. He's risen. So Luke, Luke begins... By showing us that the tomb is empty. And that Jesus is really, truly risen. Here's a question for you. Is the miracle of the resurrection necessary in your thinking? Or is it just too hard for you to believe that Jesus actually got up and walked out of the tomb? Is that just too hard to believe? And maybe you think... You know, well, I'm a modern person, a person of science. And, and, well, people back then, they were primitive. They were not advanced. They were more likely to believe in spiritual superstitions like that. But today, well, we just can't believe those kinds of things. And what's funny about that kind of thinking is it's not only snobby and condescending, It's just not true. The idea of a physical resurrection has always been impossible. It's a miracle. It's always been difficult for people to believe. Today, uh, people appeal to science. And back then, it was just as ridiculous. Because in the Greco-Roman mindset, people thought of the physical as bad. And the spiritual as good. And so the, the idea of a, of a spiritual resurrection, well, that made a little bit of sense to them. But they would have thought, why on earth would you want to return to something bad? You, you finally shed that, that bad physical body and achieved your higher spiritual reality. That's how they would have thought. So not only have miracles always been difficult for people to believe, but, but for the Gentile world in which the gospel exploded, where people obviously believed in the risen Christ, it would have been even more difficult. Because for them, it wasn't even, it wasn't even desirable. It made no sense. It was a ridiculous idea. So thinking that you know, we're modern, and the people back then were more likely to believe such things, is simply not true. It went against their culture, it went against their belief system. So they were just as much against the idea of the miraculous, physical resurrection as people are today, if not more so. But Luke gives us a little bit of evidence here in our text. The evidence that we see here is that he... He names names. 
Look at verse 10. He's specific. He doesn't just say uh, women in general or apostles in general. He actually gives us names. He names Joanna. Well, who's Joanna? Joanna, well, she's the wife of the administrator of Herod. People would have known that. He names Mary Magdalene. He names Mary, the mother of James. Why does he give us names? Here's the significance of it. Luke wrote, Luke wrote this gospel around 40 to 45 years after these events took place. Just 40 to 45 years. Think about it. If something so incredible as this miracle of the resurrection took place in your community only 45 years ago, 1977... And you have names of witnesses. Wouldn't you ask? Wouldn't you inquire? Of course people back then asked. And if it weren't true, would, would thousands upon thousands of people quickly, simply believe a book? Believe letters written without verifying something so close to them? Put it in our context. If a book came out this year, 2022, and it claimed that specific people, naming names, said that in 1977, I know to some of you that sounds like a, you know, some of us were around, or your parents were around, or your grandparents were around. So if this book claimed that in 1977, Abraham Lincoln appeared in Medford, Oregon. And for 40 days, he was, you know, appearing to a couple people here, a couple people there, a dozen there, 500 at one time. For 40 days, here in Medford, Oregon. This is what the book claims. And then he just disappears. Would you just believe it? (laughs) Would you just believe the book? When you have actual access to the community. You grew up in this community and you wonder, shouldn't my parents have told me about this? You'd investigate. You would verify something so incredible that's accessible to you. And if nobody had any idea what would happen to that book, (laughs) well, it wouldn't turn the world upside down. It would just quickly vanish Maybe even wouldn't see it on the shelf at Goodwill. Be that bad. So would thousands upon thousands of people risk and give up their lives over something like that? The Gospels were written 25 to 45 years after this event. 1 Corinthians, which teaches on the resurrection, was written around 20 years after this event. So it's dishonest for people to think that these people back then wouldn't investigate what had happened in their community within their lifetime. It's dishonest to think that these people were ignorant and gullible while we're so wise and sophisticated. It's dishonest to think that these people ignored accessible evidence 
And yes, biblically speaking, our faith is ultimately a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not based upon evidence. It's based upon the Lord regenerating us, changing our hearts and thinking, our affections. But biblically speaking, there are also eyewitnesses, intentionally so. God has revealed himself in time and space. Our faith is not blind. It's not naive or ignorant and without evidence. God has made himself known in many obvious ways. And Jesus appearing to hundreds of people over 40 days is another tangible, reasonable witness to the truth. Appearing in his resurrected physical body. Obviously, when you see the quick and massive spread of Christianity in the midst of persecution... There had to be overwhelming evidence. There had to be something along the lines of what we see with Doubting Thomas when he's confronted with what is just undeniable, could only reply by saying, my Lord and my God. If you treat Jesus as as if he were dead, you're either being dishonest, or you're ignorant to the only possible explanation for the spread of the gospel. The evidence to the resurrection was overwhelming. There's no other explanation for the massive growth of Christianity. And the angels are saying, if you believe this was just a legend about a good man, you'll never find him that way. So you might be a a moral person, uh, a disciplined person, but you won't be a Christian. Christianity is not about personal growth by conforming to some ideal or example. It's about transformation that can only occur by relating with a living Lord. We'll never find him if we're looking among the dead. Their first mistake is that they expected him to be in the tomb. They expected him to be like all the other religious leaders. They, they didn't expect the miracle of the resurrection. And people make the same mistake today. If they deny the miracle, only having a view that, that Christianity is about, about honoring and following the example of a, of a founder that they think is among the dead... A second way that people are mistaken is not just disbelieving the miracle of the resurrection, but to miss the meaning of the resurrection. Notice what the angel says here. Um, First they say, why do you seek the living among the dead? In other words, why didn't you expect it? Well, here's why. The angel explains why they didn't expect it. The angel basically says, the reason you didn't expect it is because you didn't understand its meaning. You didn't expect his resurrection because you didn't understand his death. You didn't understand that he must die. Look at the end of verse 6 and following. The, The angel says, remember how he told you that the Son of Man must 
be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? You didn't expect the miracle of the resurrection because you didn't understand that he must die. The little word must is key here. It's the, it's the controlling word for all of the rest of the phrase. He must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. He, he must suffer. He must be crucified. He must die. He must be raised. There are a lot of people today who are like these women. They know that Jesus died, but they don't know why. Many people in church on Easter Sunday believe in the resurrection, and yet we can make the same mistake, knowing that Jesus had died, but not knowing why he had to die. The angel makes the connection that they didn't expect the resurrection because they didn't know that he must die. You're looking for him among the dead. Because you knew that he died, but you don't seem to know that he had to. What does that mean? That he must die, that he had to die. What does that mean? They they knew Jesus died for them and, you know, they probably, they knew in some general way that he suffered for them. That he suffered as some kind of, certainly an example Uh, They they could see his integrity. They knew that he was a great man who was treated unjustly by the religious leaders. They knew that he loved them and in some general way probably died to protect them. But they didn't really understand that he had to die. The, The immediate impact simply led them to want to honor his memory. And follow his example. Bringing bringing gifts to his tomb. Living a sacrificial life like he did. They didn't understand that he had to die. And if we don't understand that he had to die. Then we don't realize the meaning of the resurrection. We don't realize that we need more than an example. That we need a death. In our place. And if we don't get this, then what is Christianity? If we don't understand that Jesus had to die for us, then Christianity is just about being good and living humbly and sacrificially like Jesus for the sake of his memory. That's all we're left with. That's all we're left with. If, like these women at the time, you don't understand that Jesus had to die. So what does it mean that Jesus had to? First of all, when you stop and think about it, it's a bit insulting. (laughs) To say that Jesus didn't just die as an example, but that he had to die as a sacrifice means that all of your serving is not good enough. It's not good enough because, well, you're just too sinful. I'm too sinful. He had to die. If we don't understand that Jesus is more than an example of sacrifice, but that he's our actual sacrifice, then we really don't know him. 
And it's a, it's a bit scary, isn't it, to realize the possibility of these people and us being around Jesus, admiring him, wanting to serve him, and yet if we don't know why he had to die, then we don't understand the gospel. And we think our dutiful honoring and following is good enough. The gospel changes everything. Before the angels corrected their wrong beliefs, before they showed them that Jesus had to die for them, that they were that sinful and that lost and that all of their serving would never be enough, what was their religion? Well, we see it like a funeral. They're just trudging along, coming to the tomb, wanting to honor his person, his memory. And then they hear the gospel and it changes everything. That Jesus had to die for them. When they remembered his words, it said, implying they remembered the significance of why he must die and must be raised. What do you see? You see them quickly returning, probably running to tell the, the, the others, excited to give this good news. Instead of mournful plodding along, they quickly return. Instead of, instead of just doing their telling instead of following an example they're they're transformed and they're joyful and they're sharing the gospel with others changes everything it's not enough to simply believe in the resurrection it's not enough to simply believe in miracles and that that god does amazing things and intervenes and that this is the most amazing miracle of all that's not enough It's subtle because you should believe this. But if we don't understand that he had to die for us, then we're left thinking that we're okay. Thinking we're okay. We're we're left thinking that we're basically good. Or that God must think that we're good enough. He's going to let us into heaven one day. And if we're good enough, then all we need really is a guide. An example, and certainly not a savior who must stand in our place and die for us. Are you seeking the living among the dead? Are you here this morning in memory of Jesus? Are you here because you admire his teachings, his morals, his his example of sacrifice? Are you, are you treating him as if he were dead? Or do you realize that he had to die for you? And that he's much more than all of those other wonderful traits. He's our savior. And you're here to give thanks and worship the living Lord. There's a big difference, and it ought to impact our daily lives. Uh, for example, if, you know, if you're a person that just struggles with self-pity, if you tend to think of yourself as uh, you know, basically good, faithful person, and yet nothing seems to ever go my way, and you're comparing yourself with what others have, and you, you even get maybe a little angry and frustrated with God thinking you deserve a better life, 
you miss the meaning of the resurrection. And you're functioning as if Christianity is is all about self-improvement and getting what you think you deserve instead of realizing that what you actually deserve is a lot worse because Jesus actually had to die for you. It's a living relationship of grace that ought to make us thankful and trust him instead of feeling like he somehow owes us. Another struggle that shows that we miss the meaning of the resurrection is self-loathing. Self-loathing. If, if when you realize that Jesus had to die for you, you only think, wow, I'm such a loser. I am a worm. I am a terrible person. And you just stay there and beat yourself up. You miss the meaning that even though Jesus had to die for you in order to save you, he did it willingly. Yes, he had to die to save you, but he loved you so much that he wanted to. And he did. Don't seek the living among the dead. Jesus had to die in order to save you. And he had to rise in order to save you. Because if he stayed dead in the tomb, then our only conclusion would be that his death was not sufficient to pay our debt. Yes, he had to die and he had to rise in order to love you forever. The first mistake is not believing in the miracle of the resurrection. And you might say, well, that's not me. (laughs) I believe in the miracle of the resurrection. Come on. The second mistake is missing the meaning that we don't realize the necessity of it, that Jesus had to die for us, that, that we couldn't earn our way, and he had to make a way, and, and we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And you might say, well, I, that's the gospel. I believe in the miracle of the resurrection, and I also know the gospel. I know what it means, because I understand the gospel. But there's a third way of making this mistake, another way of treating Jesus as if he were dead. It's when we miss the, the spiritual reality of his resurrection. How does it impact us? It's one thing to have a, a right understanding. It's one thing to, to know and believe about the miracles and the truth of the gospel. But is there a Is there a spiritual reality to this in your life? In other words, do you not only know about him, but actually know him? Do you experience his presence? Do you relate with him as a living person? Are we, like these women who just bring flowers to a grave, are we only relating to Jesus as a person of the past. As a kind of memory. If so, the angels say, he's not there. Go look for him among the living. You can find him there. It's more than knowing. 
It's more than a memory. It's a relationship with the living Savior that you can truly experience. You can truly experience in your day-to-day life. Are you treating Jesus like a dead leader that you can only learn about? Or are you treating him as your living Lord? The psalmist says that this relationship, that, that our knowing is so, so tangible, it's like senses. It's like our senses. He doesn't just say, know that the Lord is good. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Our relationship goes beyond knowing to experiencing the spiritual reality of his living presence in our lives. Easter always ought to challenge us in this way. This is really challenging for me. I love theology, and you should too. (laughs) We need to know truth. We need to experience his presence. Easter always ought to challenge us this way. Doesn't it challenge you in that way? I think about times when, when I'm at a, just a memorial service and I, and I think, wow, the reality, that person is in the presence of the Lord right now. And that reality hits you. Easter has a similar effect. It's like, I know he's alive. He's really alive. How does that impact me? It ought to challenge us. It ought to remind us. We, we're reminded that he's risen, which means that he, he truly is alive and we truly can experience him and not just know about him. Many Christians know that the Lord is good. They know he is risen. They know and believe in the truth of the gospel. But scripture encourages our relationship with Christ to go beyond merely knowing to tasting, to seeing, looking for him among the living, seeing that he is risen and experiencing the reality of his presence in our prayers. I was waiting for that. You know, experiencing the reality of his presence in our prayers, in our time in the word. Don't you I want that. I want more of that. When the Bible encourages us to, you know, you know that passage, pray without ceasing, and you kind of think, how's that possible? And of course, it's, it's saying, you know, keep praying. Don't give up. Keep praying about everything. But I think it's also saying, you know, pray in a different way as well. You know, don't only set aside that, that time of private prayer, but also go through your day in a kind of conversation with Jesus. He's with you. He's alive. He's always with you. So, so don't ignore him. That'd be rude, wouldn't it? Treat him as if he's alive. He's in the car with you. He's at work with you. Easter pushes us beyond a greeting, and a response. Easter challenges us to go beyond an intellectual assent to biblical facts, as important as they are. It's a day that confronts us with the reality of Jesus being alive. And so we need to not only know that he loves us, 
We need to know his love. To not only know that he's good, but to taste that he's good. To experience his goodness. We always hear Christianity is more than a religion. That it's a relationship. Okay, is it? Is it? If so, then treat your relationship with Jesus as more than knowing and believing mere facts. Yes, we need to know and believe what's true, but we're also invited to seek him among the living, to taste and see, for there to be a spiritual reality, something that goes beyond what all other religions have with their dead founders. Okay, so let me suggest something to you. Let me suggest something to those of you who hear this and think, well, that's me. I do believe I am a Christian, but I know there's more to this relationship. And if that's you, and, and to be honest, that's all of us to some extent. That's all of us. Because even if you do understand tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, you want to drink some more. <laughs> you want to keep growing. So if this is you if, you, if you believe the miracle and know its meaning, but you're confronted with the reality of Easter, realizing that you haven't been relating to Jesus as you believe him to be, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. I want you to, I want you to say to yourself, between this Easter and next, I'm going to look for Jesus among the living. I'm going to confront what I know isn't right in my life. I'm going to confess it to the Lord. I'm going to connect all the more with his body, the church. I'm going to be involved and accountable. I want to taste and see. I want to relate with him in a more personal way in my prayer life as I read his word, discussing it with him. I want to sing to him and not just about him. I want to come to his table and expect his presence there. Between this Easter and next, I want to grow. I want to relate with Jesus as my living Lord. I want to taste and see that he is good. Can I challenge you with that? Easter is always a special time. But when we really stop and think about it, when we really stop and think about it, I suspect we all know that the reality of Easter tells us there's even more to our relationship with Jesus. That we need to go into that, we need to go into that empty tomb. We need to see that he is risen. And then we need to go look for him and experience him among the living. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we love you. We give you thanks and praise for loving us so much that you did what was necessary to save us. Yes, you, you had to die in order to save us, but you wanted to because you love us. Lord, we celebrate the fact that you defeated death that you physically rose from the grave, that you're unlike all other religious leaders, that unlike them, 
You're alive. You're not among the dead. So Lord, help us to to both know the truth and to experience it in our relationship with you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who accomplishes this in us. Help us to grow and live with, with you ever before us, with us. Help us to not only believe that you're alive, but to live in light of its truth. We pray in your great name, Jesus. Amen.